well worth um, turning on. I've got this microphone on uh, rather than that one, if, if somebody's turning that on. Um, well worth having this outline, uh, which is in the order of service with you. The outline is correct. Um, one of the readings, as Josh said, is not. That's, that's entirely my fault. Uh, but 50%, I got one right, one out of two, so <laughs> still passed the test. Um, uh, it is worth uh, having that with you, and as we go through, we might be able to look uh, on the screen at uh, the verses from uh, what is that first uh, passage from verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, as Josh said, uh, Gavin uh, has prepared to uh, preach our next instalment of Mark's Gospel together, so we're looking forward to that next week. And with a, a late uh, change at, near the end of this week, uh, what I want to spend this week doing while we have this unexpected opportunity is just to share with you from the Scriptures some of the things that are in my heart about our roadmap, if you like, our path together in our partnership, St Andrews and St Paul's Warunga. These are passages that have been uh, shaping my own thinking on that and I wanted to share them with you. And uh, God has given us that opportunity and so I'm going to pray that uh, he helps us think well about these things together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you speak because you love us. Uh, you speak that we may know you and know ourselves and to know how to live rightly before you. So we pray, Father, that you would humble our hearts now. Uh, help us to hear you and to heed you for your glory. Amen. There's been uh, lots of words during this COVID uh, season, season, there's one of them, uh, that have become sort of buzzwords that uh, perhaps we hardly ever heard before this period, and now, now they're everywhere. Words like unprecedented uh, has been used uh, liberally uh, during the last couple of years. Uh, words like uh, vaccinated is probably not a word that you've heard uh, as much as we have in this last two years. Uh, here's another one. Here's my personal favourite uh, buzzword. It is the word pivot. I don't know whether you've heard that word in uh, perhaps work circles, in your own family life. Uh, I think it's probably, of all the buzz, COVID buzzwords, the word that best captures uh, the COVID experience. Uh, pivot, and I think uh, basketball when I hear that term, but uh, the, it's, been, it's been used really to uh, explain that experience that we've all had over the last few years of having to change at the last minute, of having to change plans that have been developed uh, at, at almost no notice. And you would have had to do that personally, I imagine, at, at points along the way. Perhaps even for many, Christmas uh, has been disrupted. Uh, plans with family uh, had to pivot at the last minute. Uh, we almost have to do that on a daily, weekly basis at the moment. We've done it personally, but uh, I suggest to you, and uh, I suspect you know this experience, uh, we've done a fair bit of pivoting as a church uh, ourselves in these last couple of years, whether it's meeting in person, not in person, here, there, everywhere, you name it, things have changed. Uh, some of the pivots are small, like uh, change the preacher late in the week. Uh, some of them are big, like we've begun a gospel partnership together. Uh, St Paul's and St Andrew's Warunga, uh, two parishes that have served this area, now uh, partnering together to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ to Warunga and beyond. That's, that's a big pivot. And it's an exciting pivot. It's exciting, but it's, it's, it's typical of this season. It, it leads to an experience where pretty much the only constant feels like it's, well, the constant is change. And in the next couple of months in this gospel partnership, there are significant milestones and changes that uh, will come upon us, important changes. Uh, one of our big plans as we started the partnership was to move towards uniting as a, as a single parish. 
uh, to become a parish for Warunga, Warunga Anglican, reaching Warunga together, not, not separately, but able to do more together. That, that's a significant pivot and an important moment it's coming for us. Another one, uh, and we, we prayed about this just before, is the, the plan to start a new all-age congregation uh, up at St Paul's. Uh, other pivots, uh, things like uh, we have a really important appointment that we need to make coming up, our families worker to, uh, to help us in the work of reaching the families of Warunga and beyond. There, there's some of the things that are before us. And with all this change coming up on the horizon, it is important to step back, and we have this week now to do it, to be clear together on the reasons why we would change things. Why not just stay the same? Why the need to pivot? Uh, and to be clear together on what the purpose of this church is as we make whatever changes we need to make along the way. And so today, really what I want to do for a few minutes together is to listen to God's word and let him set the course for what is before us. And we're going to do it really through the two lenses of these passages, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 19 to 23, and then 2 Corinthians 4. And uh, as we look at them, we're going to ask these questions and these passages are going to provide answers. We're going to look at the who and the what and the why and the how of church and this gospel partnership that we have. So let's look at each of those in turn and we'll be bouncing between the passages as we answer each question. First, who, the who of this church? Uh, if you were to ask the Apostle Paul, who wrote both of the letters uh, that we have these passages from, his strategy for church life and for a gospel partnership like ours, if you were to ask him, one, you'd have trouble doing that because he lived hundreds of years uh, before us. But if we were able to ask him, uh, I think from these passages, the first thing he would do is say, step back and you first need to remember who you are, who we are as Christians and who we are together as a church. And so let's consider this who question through the, the first lens, 1 Corinthians 9. And uh, the, the verse that I'm going to focus on, which is not on the sheet, I apologise for that, is verse 19. And in there, Paul is explaining his identity as a Christian, which drives the way he goes about his ministry. Uh, he's, I'd ask him who he is, and uh, as a result of his faith in Jesus Christ, and here's what he'll declare. I'm free. That's who I am. If you want to know who I am in this world, I'm a free man. Uh, who are you as a Christian? You are a free person. Utterly free because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you are more free than... Uh, he lists a whole series of categories of people in, in the surrounding verses. Verses 20 to 22. Uh, Jews and Greeks, strong and weak. All sorts of people who are bound by something in some way. He says, I, I'm not like that, says the Apostle Paul. I'm free. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? That this is a gathering. If you were to try and describe this church to someone, here's a way to describe it. We are utterly free. That's who we are. We gather because we're completely free. It is an awesome thought. The Christian man or woman who lives life shaped by the cross of Christ is a free person. Free from sin. Free from God's judgment. Free to need no person or no thing to give us our sense of identity in this world. I'm completely free. We are free because, well, as it says earlier in 1 Corinthians, we have been bought, that freedom has been bought for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're free. There's the first answer to the who we are as a church. We are free. Let's look at the second lens now, answering the same who question. Have a look at 2 Corinthians 4 verse 11. We who are alive. 
There's the second description of who you are as we gather this morning. We're free and we're alive. Not just existing, we're alive. And if you go back actually in 2 Corinthians 4 uh, to verse 6, here's what we're told. Uh, we're alive because God has spoken the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Uh, that powerful word has brought us to life. Uh, in fact, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, one of my favourite verses in all the scripture, says this to us. Uh, the same God who said in the beginning, let there be light, and there was, has actually said that to your heart. That's how you became a Christian. It wasn't, wasn't your activity. It wasn't your decision in the end. It was a God declaring through the gospel of his son, in this dead, dull, dark heart, let there be light. Let there be life, new life, life because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you were to ask who we are as we gather this morning, we are a gathering of those who, by the gospel of Jesus, have come to full life and life where we are completely free. There's the who, and now to the what. Uh, given our freedom, given this new life, what are we meant to do with it? We'll have a look at 1 Corinthians 9, our first lens. 1 Corinthians 9 says, the freedom that we have, I am free, says Paul, is not a directionless freedom. So when you hear the word freedom, don't think like a, a chip packet blowing in the breeze that's just sort of buffeted around and it's just who knows what it's doing. Think more like a, a kite uh, caught in the wind and being driven by the wind, purposefully driven in a direction. Well, what's the purpose that drives our freedom? Well, ironically, uh, here's how Paul describes it in uh, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 21. It's the law of Christ that is the wind, if you like. It's the thing that drives us and drives our freedom and the way we use it. Now, at that point, you might be disappointed because here we are talking about being free. And then the very next thing Paul says is, I'm free to be bound by the law of Christ. And you think, hang on, I thought I was free from law. But this is no human law. This is no stultifying, restricting law. This is a law that actually freezes. Uh, Christ's law, and that's a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses a lot in the New Testament, you can be summed up like this. Uh, Galatians 6 sums up the law of Christ this way. It is to carry each other's burdens. Who are we because of Christ in this world? We are burden carriers. That's who we're free to be. We are free to be lovers of others rather than uh, just lovers of ourselves. Uh, in a, and, and in a world utterly obsessed with identity, that's a word, another buzzword of our culture, uh, utterly obsessed with identity, here is yours. You are free to carry burdens, free to love others. And you see, that freedom has a direct consequence, uh, that identity, sorry, has a direct consequence for Paul's use of freedom. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. Here's, here's the what of, of the Apostle Paul's freedom. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. It's startling, isn't it, the way Christian freedom works? Uh, the identity game in our culture leads to utter self-absorption. But for Christians, your identity as the most free people in this world leads you to be slaves to everyone. And that shouldn't surprise us. I wonder if you recall these famous words. Sometimes we use them as a creed here at, uh, at church together. Philippians 2, uh, verses 6 to 7, speaking of Jesus, who is, well, was the most free human that's ever lived on this earth. This is what it says of his freedom. Uh, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a slave. Paul 
in 1 Corinthians says, you want, here's, how, here's how the Christian life works. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so we follow this same pattern. We use our freedom to become slaves to everyone. Uh, now let's look through the other lens at this what question. 2 Corinthians 4 and see the what of our church. Remember, 2 Corinthians 4 has identified us as we who are alive. What should you do with your newfound life in Jesus? Well, here it is, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 11. We who are alive are always being given over to death. Again, that shouldn't surprise us. That same wonderful passage in Philippians 2, uh, speaking of Jesus, it says this, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see what he's done with his life? He's given it over to death. So we follow him. We who are alive, Paul says in verse 11, we who are alive, do you see there, are always being given over to death. And, and, and that's quite striking because he's not saying, you know, from time to time you'll have to give up your life a bit for others. He's saying, no, that's normal programming for the Christian. We who are alive are always being given over to death. Well, there's our answer to the who and the what. We're free to become slaves. We're living to give up our life to others. And so the obvious question that flows from this, why? Why would you live such a life? Why would we live that way as a church? Well, here's the why, again, through our two lenses. Firstly, 1 Corinthians. And I love this. 1 Corinthians 9 leaves us in no doubt as to the why. He says it so many times in case we miss it. Five times, in fact, from verse 19 through to 22, he says, I, I, I use my freedom to become slaves to everyone, and here's why, to win people, to win the Jews to win the Greeks, to win the strong, to win the weak, to, to win people, or, or more literally, he says, I use it to gain friends. Do you see the irony? Uh, this is the wonderful equation at the heart of the Christian life and our life together as a church. Lose rights equals win friends. And why? Why would he do that? Because, well, he's following his saviour who is a lover. I wonder if you noticed the subtle shift in Paul's language as he talked about the why here. It's because I want to win people. He says it five times, and then he says this, I want to win them, and then in verse 22 he says, I have become all things to all men so that I might save some. That's why he wants to win them. He wants to see them saved. Do you know what he, uh, he's trying to save them from? Uh, here's how he articulates it in another of his letters. Romans chapter 5, verse 9, speaking of salvation, he says, We've now been justified by the blood of Jesus. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? And you start to see the stakes. You start to see why he's willing to be a slave, use his freedom in that way. That's what he's seeking to save them from. Paul serves all people in any way he can, because he knows that God's wrath is coming and he knows the danger of that. And so he's willing to do anything to see some saved. I mean, the picture here of Paul in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, it reminds me of, uh, I reckon, my favourite book in, in high school was a book called Catcher in the Rye. Has anyone read that? Just a couple of us. Uh, Catcher in the Rye, its main character was a guy called Holden Caulfield. And he, it, was a, it was an odd book in lots of ways, but he had this recurring dream uh, all the way through the book uh, of literally being a catcher in the rye. He was standing in this field of rye and, and uh, trying to save children from falling off the edge of the field where there was a cliff. Uh, he, here's a quote from the book as he's telling, uh, I think, a, a careers consultant about what he wants to do with his life. 
I keep picturing all these uh, little kids playing some game in the big field of rye, thousands of them. And no one is around looking out for them. Nobody big, I mean, except me. And I'm, I'm standing on the edge of some crazy cliff. And what I have to do is I have to catch everybody as they start to go over the cliff. And I mean, if they're running around and they don't look where they're going, I, I'm meant to come out from somewhere and catch them. That's all I do all day. I'd be the catcher in the rye. I, I know it's crazy, but that's the only thing I really want to be. It does sound crazy, doesn't it? But so does Paul's approach here. He says, this is my why. This is what I want to do with my life. This is how I want to use my freedom. I want to use it in any way I can so that we might save some from that rock that is coming. Because Paul sees people all around him as he walks through these different cities of Corinth and Galatia and wherever he goes, he sees people who don't even know that day is coming. Because nothing and nobody in the culture, in the city is going to tell them. I wonder if you feel that way about Warunga. I wonder if you feel that way about the streets that you live in and the houses around you. This is God's mission. This is our why. This is the reason he gave us freedom and life. Now, I want to move to our final question in just a moment, the how question. But first, uh, let's see the why from the other lens, 2 Corinthians 4. Have a look at verse 12. You'll see the answer to the, the why there. Death is at work in us. Remember, the what is giving ourselves over to death. Death is at work in us so that life is at work in you, in others. There is the glorious pattern of the gospel. And it is the pattern and the foundation of what our gospel partnership needs to be built on. Each one of us has experienced this. King Jesus has given himself over to death so that we might come to life. And now he calls us to live in such a way that we give ourselves over to death that life may come to others. That is a glorious cause that you and I have been swept up in as a church by faith in Jesus. We might wish for another way to save people. We might wish for another way to see life come to others. Uh, we'd like it if Jesus could be seen as Lord and Saviour at no cost or change to us. That sounds like a great plan. But as Jesus himself was told in the Garden of Gethsemane, there is no other way. And so we come to our final question, how are we going to actually do that? We've seen the why of this church, that we might save some, that we might bring life to Warunga. Now to the question of how. What, what does it actually, how does it actually play out for Paul to, to give, let go of his freedom? to give away his life, to bring life to others. Well, well, our passage shows us the answer to how in two ways. It shows us the strategy of how, how he does it, and it also shows us the strength that enables him to keep going. Uh, think briefly, firstly, about the strategy. How does he actually do it? What would it look like for us to do it here? Well, have a look at 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22 to 23, the second half of 22. Here's his strategy. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that they, I might share with them in its blessings. What's Paul's strategy? It's full of pivots, isn't it? All things, all possible means, whatever it's gonna take. How does the apostle Paul go about mission? He's like a chameleon, he's a, he's a changeling. And in one sense, you look at verse 22 of our passage and you think he's all things to all people. It sounds like someone with no backbone, no consistency. But Paul would say, no, you've got me wrong. I'm utterly consistent on the why, 
and the what. I have only one message to save people by. It is the Lord Jesus Christ crucified for us from, so to save us from God's wrath. That's the why. That's unchanging. But as to the how, he's flexible, ready to change, ready to adapt, ready to pivot, to hold his rights and preferences so loosely if it's going to help, to let them go if he needs to, if it might win some more. If he might reach others, if that's an option, he's prepared to remove whatever barriers what, and make whatever changes might speed on the progress of the gospel. And you see, Paul's not concerned here about the, the gospel hindrances and blocks that might be in an unbeliever's heart. That's not what he's worried about here because he knows the gospel can demolish them in a, in a moment if God so wills. His concern, his worry, and indeed our concern should be the obstacles that we might create in our own life as a church with any unwillingness to change or clutching at our own rights and preferences, anything that might hinder the gospel. And that, for me, I think is the big challenge of these passages. For as, as we set the course forward as Warunga Anglican, am I prepared to let go of my freedom and preferences that we might win more? Am I prepared to let go of my life and comfort that we might save some? I think that is both a tremendously exciting and scary strategy, isn't it? There is much ahead of us, uh, changes like that, pivots that will come upon us, as I mentioned at the start. Uh, and so I need to ask you, as Wurunga Anglican, given who we are, free and living because of the Lord Jesus Christ, given the what and the why, that we give up that freedom and life to bring it to others, let us keep asking, how can we adapt? How do we need to change? What obstacles need to be out of the way that we might win some? Uh, there are current obstacles that we will discuss and plan uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, structurally, as I mentioned at the start, at the moment we're, we're two parishes, as we've been for many years, and now united like this, we remain with two governances and two sets of finances and two systems, all of which is, well, normal, but complicated and distracting and disjointed for our mission. And then there's the, the possibility, uh, our plan to start a new congregation out of this congregation. Uh, we, we at our prayer meeting just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about our hope to start that, say, in the, in the second half of the year, July or August or September, something like that. That, that, that was our goal uh, because we want congregations that as people come here on Sunday, there's room for newcomers. There's room for people to be welcomed. There's room for more to hear of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And there's a sense of room so that we have a sense of the thousands around us who are not hearing that. So that we don't just become a holy huddle in a full room. We are free to live that way, but it's not our why. And so there it was, our original plans to do that maybe sometime July, August, September. But, but here, here, and we'll talk more about this at the Vision Dinner, which please do come to that. Uh, at the moment, I think that need is so urgent that we should do that around Easter. Uh, that's when we need to do it. We should do it next week, but uh, that, that's probably beyond us. But Easter is more the target now. To do that will involve the sort of things that we've heard this morning. It will involve doubling the serving teams. It will involve us being meeting across multiple locations. It will involve us moving out of our comfort zone. But all of these things will be driven by our why. There are some decision points ahead of us, and each one is an opportunity to remember the why. Let me finish with this. Here's the other part of the how. That's the strategy. Here's how he manages to do it. Here's the strength that drives him. 
verse 13 and 14 of 2 Corinthians 4. It's because Paul believes with all his heart in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and our resurrection. Verse 13 and 14 declare that we will only approach life with the goal of being handed over to death, the goal of holding our rights and preferences loosely, if we actually believe that God who raised Jesus from death will also raise you. Completely and bodily he will raise you, raise you to be with him, raise you to be completely new. This is the way I want us to approach uh, all that is before us as a gospel partnership, with eyes and hearts fixed on his and therefore our resurrection. Without such a focus, we will risk little. We will change little. We will do little. Because we will conclude that here and now, this is life. But with that resurrection hope, we will risk much. Because in the end, there, there won't be a risk. But there will be rich reward. You see how he ends our passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 23. All of this I do for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them and those around them in its blessing. I'm going to pray for us. My Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't save us to, to lead us on the sideline of your purposes in this world. You save us to be swept up in them. And we are so thankful for the way that others have done that for us and that we have come to know and love and trust the Lord Jesus and that we've found in him a freedom that we could find nowhere else and a life that is, well, nothing can take. And so we pray, Father, that we would be so swept up in that reality of what you have done for us that we would long to see others uh, receive that freedom and life, to be free from the fear of the coming wrath of God. Lord, put that on our heart and make that our why, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.